What kind of Savior do you want? What kind of Savior do you want? Well, we're about to find out what kind he really is. From the Gospel of John, this is the word of the Lord. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These words from John chapter 10 are such a comfort. This image carries warmth. The gentle sheep with this image of our mind of the kindly shepherd who's caring for them on the rolling lush hills. Now, that would be an image that would be very familiar to those who are hearing Jesus speak these words. They, they would immediately in their minds, they would be transferred back in time to the days of their most endearing king, King David, the shepherd king. And in their hearts and in their minds, I'm sure someone started saying to themselves, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down beside green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. And maybe you think that as well. And Jesus, Jesus is that. And then there's this picture that Jesus gives us of such close proximity to God better word is intimacy, but let's just say close proximity to God. For those who belong to the Good Shepherd, he says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Don't you love it when it says, and they know my voice? Have you heard the voice of God lately? No, I'm not, I'm not talking about some big thunderous cry from heaven while you're driving down the highway and turn here. But the promise is that there's this knowledge with God that is reciprocal. Hear that. This is not knowing about Jesus. 
This is not the right Sunday school answers. This is being in relationship with Jesus, a reciprocal relationship. And here's the problem for the people listening to this. This is a shift in their understanding of God. That God wants to not only be over them, he wants to be with them. and He wants to be in relationship with them. God wants us to know him more than we may want to know him. He longs for that. And that's there. We see that. But those are not the images that would be immediately presented to the minds of these people. When they hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, there's there's a voice that's echoing through from their history from the prophets. They're hearing the prophets speak of a shepherd. The Messiah as a shepherd. That's what the prophet said. We hear these words from the prophet Isaiah. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And then we see that if you want to read a wild book in the Bible, read Ezekiel. If you haven't read Ezekiel, read it and then get a good strong cup of coffee. And it's a great book. But what happens is there's this contrast that takes place between the Messiah as shepherd and the false shepherds who were concerned with power and self-interest in government and in religious leadership. And so the contrast results in this. The Lord says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. That last part of verse 12 would be worth just sitting with, especially when you're in darkness. And then speaking of the messianic king, the coming messianic king, we hear from the minor prophet who's very major, Micah. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Power. Rescue. Strength. You see, that's the Messiah shepherd they're thinking of. That's the ruling shepherd they're looking for who would come and take care of God's people first. That's what they were waiting for. So when Jesus says this, they're thinking of a shepherd who's going to come and fight a bloody battle to liberate them. And make no mistake, a bloody battle will be fought and liberation will be had, but it's not going to be 
what they expect. And now he's here. He's announcing, I am the good shepherd. I'm that one. He's here. But what Jesus becomes is what I almost titled this message, Jesus the Disappointment. He's not quite what they expected. I want you to think about the word power today. It's a funny word when we think about power. Misused in all kinds of different ways. Uh, the famous quote about power, as you probably know, is attributed to a gentleman by the name of Lord Acton. He said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Some people have misused Lord Acton's words to say we should never ever search for power. Well, that's not what he said. Here's the question. Why did Lord Acton say that? Because you can't really understand what he's saying if you just remove it from context. And the context of his letter was he was writing a religious leader who would eventually become a bishop. And he's addressing the misuse of power by politicians and by religious leaders. He's especially railing in this letter against those who consider themselves exempt from the consequences of the misuse of power. What a word for us today. This morning, as we witness politicians and leaders vying for power at any cost, and what a word this is for the church as we hear of ongoing instances all too often of church abuse by pastors and leaders. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Amen? Really. And, and what a word this is to us and a warning to the church about being co-opted by the notion of national worldly power as a way to salvation. You see, Lord Acton went on in his letter to say this, there is no worse heresy than that the office sanctifies the holder of it and the end learns to justify the means. The end learns to justify the means. That we're going to get power no matter the price. Say, oh, pastor, you've gone from preaching to meddling now. Well, why am I bringing this up? Because what do we do with these thoughts when we bump up against these words? I lay down my life from the one who had all the power. What do we do? What do we do? Power. It's a tricky word. Because here's the truth. You need power, and I need power, and God's given us power. That's what Genesis 1.28 is all about, where it tells us that we were made to rule. It means we were made to be stewards. We were made to use our power to do something good. So God has given humanity agency, human agency, power. It's true. 
We also need power in redemption. We not only need power, get power in creation, we get power in redemption. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you will receive power, the root of the word dynamite. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses, which we'll look at next week, also means martyrs. We need power to live. That's why the person who quotes Lord Acton and says, ah, we should just not even pursue power. That's not true. But what does this have to do with shepherd Messiah, Jesus, and me, and you, and us? Well, it's worth repeating Jesus. Um, Let's look again at John chapter 10. Uh, Next slide. And wherever you see the words underlined, would you speak those out loud with me? Let's say this together. I lay down my life for the sheep. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. That very last sentence is the whole reason why we point to March 31st this year and celebrate the truth that he chose also to rise from the dead. But four times in three verses, lay down my life. And what Jesus does, as these people are listening to him, they're expecting this great Messiah shepherd who's going to come and rule with power and and with rescue and with strength. What he does, he turns the idea of Messiah as a shepherd who comes with power to rule according to the desires and whims of the people. He turns all of that right upside down on its head. This is why every time I come to this passage, I think to myself, oh Jesus, flipping it around again. And it makes us ask this. What kind of Messiah is he? This is what the people were probably thinking about. They're, he's, they're hearing this, they're saying, what kind of Messiah is he supposed to be? One that makes him vulnerable, not invincible? One that makes himself weak, not one who sees his power? One that gives his life away? Not one who protects his own self-interests. Oh, you got to understand, in that culture, in that time, there were messiahs all over the place. There were all kinds of people who claimed to be messiah, all kinds of people looking for power as messiah. But this messiah was different. There were plenty of messiahs with a sword. This messiah comes as a shepherd. But this is the kind of Messiah we need and one we can approach. This one who gives power away and what he does is he transforms power. God's redeeming power through Jesus is now available. And if God's power redeems, then God's absolute power redeems absolutely. 
So here's a word for you and me. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever's holding you back, whatever feels so broken in your life because of choices you made, wherever it hurts the most, the good news is God's absolute power, his redeeming love is for you, for me. Andy Crouch wrote this, love transfigures power. Absolute love transfigures absolute power. And power transfigured by love is the power that made and saves the world. He went on and said, power is a gift. Genesis 1.28, power is a gift. Power is the ability to make something of the world. We need to have power to make something good of the world. But power is nothing. In fact, power is worse than nothing without love. I've mentioned this before, but, you know, I see, I see the gentries with their children. I see John with this precious baby here today. And think about the raw power we have over those children. The only thing that tempers it is love. Power to do something in the world. I want you to go back one week and remember that Bonnie Gatchel stood here and shared about the work of Route One Ministry that goes into one of the darkest places you can imagine. Do you want to see what power transfigured by love looks like? It's when Route One Ministry goes into the darkness of a strip club and touches the person that we want to point our finger at in judgment and critique them and criticize them and worse, dismiss them. And yet they go in and love them. That's power transfigured by love. He said it. I lay down my life for the sheep. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Now those words are, are beautiful and they're hard. They're beautiful because they give me a picture of God's heart for Jesus. And Jesus' heart is emulating the best of the Father. He's showing us the best of God. He always is. And it's showing us that he did this all for love. And because of love, it's all about love. The strongest, most courageous, firmest word. Not the love of weakness that we so often think it to be. He did that for us. So it's beautiful, but it's also challenging. It challenges me. And these words are, are the right words for the season of Lent, where we take stock. That's what Lent is about. I want to encourage you, if you have not picked up one of the sheets on the table as you're walking out of the sanctuary that has some reflections on it, take that stuff Find time. If you can join us Wednesday night at 6 p.m., beautiful. But take it. Examine it and let it examine you. Encounter God through that. This is the time we take stock and we examine our motives and our actions and our attitudes and our wants and our lives. Let's not just walk away from this without that. 
And, and what these words do is they force the question that I really want to avoid. Maybe you don't, but I want to avoid it, which is this. What does this surrender mean? And then I read these words, and all of a sudden they're even heavier. And the real question is, what does sacrifice mean? It's so contrary to how you and I are discipled by the world around us. And we are, we're all disciples, everyone. Whether, they, whether you go to church or not, whether you claim God or not, we are all disciples. Something's forming and shaping us. What does sacrifice mean? Because see, that's what Jesus is talking about here. When he starts talking about this, they're really, the people listening to this are getting confused a little bit because this is what they understand. They realize he's pointing to the sacrificial lamb. In their understanding of salvation, in their Jewish thought of history, the sacrificial lamb is the lamb of redemption. He is blowing up the image of Messiah in the process. Because this Messiah does not use personal power to dominate or control, but uses personal power to sacrifice for the sake of you, for, of me, of us. He, he, he uses power. Now let's understand this. Jesus does not give up his power. He uses it to sacrifice for those not like him, me, and even for his enemies. And do you see it, what's happening? Let's say you wanted to be a shepherd in Jesus' day, and so you go to the shepherd hiring office. And, and they're handing out applications to be a shepherd. And you go, I'm ready. I want to be a shepherd. And they hand you this application, and you start filling out the application. What will not be on the application is this. Are you going to give up your life for the sheep? The, shepherd, the shepherds in that time, yes, they would care for the sheep. Yes, they would defend the sheep. And you know that parable Jesus says when he talks about the 99, the one goes running away and the shepherd goes running after the one that's gone run away? That's not real life. In that day, many times, when that sheep would run away to a dangerous spot, they'd go, sorry, sheep. So it's just blowing up that image. You see... This was not what the people expected of Messiah. Dying was the role of the sheep. But in Jesus, the good shepherd gives up his life. He gives up his power to give life to the sheep. He gives away his power. What kind of Messiah is this? What kind of Savior do you want? What kind of Savior do I want? If you're reading the devotional, abide with us. So there's a few copies left back there. Grab one. Al Truesdale quotes Hippolytus. He who created the heavens is yet fastened to a wooden cross. 
And he who said, I have power to lay down my life and I have power to take it again, nevertheless bows his head and gives up the ghost. This is the Christ of the Bible. This is the Christ we follow. So I have to now ask myself, all of that, all of that to ask, what is my response to a sacrificial Messiah? What is my response to, I lay down my life? Well, these words bother me. And they should. Some bother me some. Because they force me to confront my soul. Who I really am. Not who everyone sees me to be. That's part of my soul, my complete being, my total person. But who I am and the depth of who I am. And they make me ask my soul questions. What do I do with this Savior who chose to die for me? What do I do with him? What are you going to do with Jesus? See, that's the question. That's the burning question for every human being. What are you going to do with this Savior, this Jesus who died for you? Secondly, where in my life do I need to surrender control more fully to God? Where is it where I need to stop playing God? And I need to let God be God in my life. Thirdly, how am I then to sacrifice for others, especially those who are unlike me or disagree with me or are my enemies? It's that upside-down kingdom. It's part of the reason why these words are hard. And then what am I willing to give my life to because God loves me and has given everything for me? What am I really going to give my... What are you giving your life to? We're all giving our lives to something and or someone. What are you giving your life to? That's the question that we're confronted with. And then this last one. Is my view of power consistent with Jesus? And if not, what am I going to choose? Jesus or my view of power? I got to make a choice here. Am I going to choose Jesus' view of power? Or am I going to choose my view of power if they're not the same? I came across these words from Henri Nouwen's great book, In the Name of Jesus. He says it so well, and we need to hear them. One of the greatest ironies of the history of Christianity is that its leaders gave in to the temptation of power, political power, military power, economic power, or moral and spiritual power, even though they continued to speak in the name of Jesus, who did not cling to divine power, but emptied himself and became as we are. All of what I've shared with you, and especially that quote, leads to one question. It's worth writing down. Are we not glad that Jesus did not give in to the temptation of power for selfish purposes? Are we not glad that Jesus did not give in to the temptation? He chose to lay down his life. What does this say to the one who said? What does this say to me to the, about the one who said, I lay down my life? Well, this is the path of the greatness of Jesus. It was the greatness of the path of downward mobility. 
of sacrificial servanthood, of the great shepherd who becomes the sacrificial lamb. The Messiah Jesus, who chose not to get rid of his power, but who chose to use his power to give power for others. And now he invites us to do the same. It's a constant theme of the life of the disciple. Then Jesus said in Matthew 16 to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And yet he goes on, there is where we actually find true life. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The one who used power to give up his life invites us to be like him and to find life. So I wonder, is there a better entrance to the table of the Lord that we refer to as the Eucharist, which is the root Greek term, Eucharisteo, for gratitude, thanksgiving? Is there a better entrance to this table We move into communion this morning with the echo of these words from Jesus ringing in our hearts. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He did not give it up. He did not give his power up, but he used it. It dawned on me as I was reading some things last night that This is what power transfigured by love looks like. Fleming Rutledge writes this. If you say this doesn't make any earthly sense, you're right. We are stretching for words here. God is personally involving himself in the rescue. At the highest level of sacrifice the world has ever seen. This gift of infinite value, this outpouring of the divine life of God, this undergoing of ultimate humiliation, this entrance into hell for us. For us. Do you want to see what power transfigured by love looks like? It's Jesus making a choice get that today he chose to give his life he chose to give his life for us and so do I see what that means it is Jesus choosing for you and me the path of suffering sacrifice and death for the ransom of our sins Jesus volunteered for the hard thing for your sake and mine. Will I do the same? You see, someone had to pay the price for our sins. Someone had to pay the price for our sins. And that someone is Jesus. He chose you. Hear hear that. Look at that cross. And what that means is he chose you. 
and he chose me. Knowing full well what we were not. Knowing full well that we deserved it and he did not. He chose you. Do you see what that means? It is Jesus choosing for you and me. What will you do with this Messiah who said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life? So I end where we started. What kind of savior do you want? Because we are offered the one who chose to give his life for you and me. What will I choose now? Pastors, please come. Because all of this is true, anyone and everyone is invited to this table. All are welcome to come and receive, needing only one thing, a heart that is turned toward Jesus, a heart that is repentant and turned towards Jesus, anyone and everyone is welcome to his table. The only requirement is a heart that says, I want to turn toward Jesus. No matter who you are, you're invited to this encounter with God. Pastor Mary prayed that in our prayer time before the service. For God desires for all of us to live in and with his shepherding presence through Jesus Christ in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, what kind of savior do you want? We've been given the savior who looks at you and me and says, I lay down my life for you. As we come today to the table of the Lord, may it not just simply be a ritual but may it be an expression of our desire for Jesus and our faith that he's the one who can forgive us of our sins and make us the people God wants us to be. I invite you to stand this morning